0: Welcome to Black and White, a conversation with Dan Perkins. It's time to bring all of us together to talk about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who want to deal with only the facts. And it's time for you, as Americans, to re-engage in your right of freedom of speech. It's time for you to join me in the conversation on Blacks and Whites. Welcome back to Blacks and Whites, the conservative conversation. Uh, where all opinion is respect for, respected whether we agree with them or not. And today we're having a, a lady that we have been on our show before, Donna Jackson, who's the director of membership development for Project 21 the, at the National Center for Public Policy Research. And if, I, if my notes are correct, dear lady, you were you gave congressional testimony on something very important to you. So... Welcome
1: to Blacks and Whites and tell us your story. Yes, uh, I I did. I had the privilege of speaking to the United States House of Representatives Energy and Commerce Committee. And the topic was unaffordable energy costs. This is very important to me because I see energy as a way for people to bring themselves out of poverty into the middle class. Also high unaffordable energy actually creates a barrier for those individuals who want to uh, move out of poverty and get into home ownership, small business, create small businesses and want to better their lives. One of the things that I brought up was the fact that most people under this high this war on fossil fuel has actually uh it's also created a war on low income and minority communities there was an interesting study done by the uh energy information administration and they said one in three households struggle to pay their energy bills one in five has to give up necessities like food and medicine to pay their energy bills. And that number was double for minority communities. That's staggering that people today are making choices between whether we can buy food or buy medicine or pay our energy bills. And that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be this scenario where um, energy is only something that the rich can afford. This is a basic necessity. And what the Biden administration has really done is declare war on fossil fuels and reduce. Ha, we've had the largest reduction in the standard of living for most minorities and low-income people in this country that we've ever seen. I mean, it, it can only be compared to something on a third world country. I'm always reminded of the fact that it was energy that fueled the industrialized jobs that was responsible for creating a vibrant middle-class African-American community. And now you have these climate change activists and these green policies that are actually going in reverse where we're de-industrializing the country. We're getting rid of manufacturing jobs, We're getting rid of affordable natural gas, pipelines, all of those, all represent jobs for for people that don't have college degrees, that don't participate in the keyboard industry. And that's important.
0: I think it is important, but I do have a question for you. Um, My job is, uh, I spend more time doing research than anything else I do. In radio and television or or, or commentary. I, I'm a big believer in doing research. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to, as as difficult as it may sound, I want you to step out of the color of skin that you have and be neutral. Right. And and I want to say to you, Donna, I agree with you, but in absolute, uh, in, in absolute numbers of people adversely affected by what you're talking about, aren't more white people than any other race affected?
1: Uh, yes. And and, and and yeah, it's absolutely true because this isn't just really a color issue. It's a human issue because you'll you see a lot of times that environmentalists are always talking about the impacts to the environment and climate. They don't ever talk about the economic impacts to human lives, and that's all people. When you're sitting there with an area, for example, where the median income, like in in, in Detroit, is $20,900. Okay. That's the median income. That's somebody that's doing well, right? They're living off of basically $1,700 a month. And at the height of the gas, when gas was at its highest, it was $5.20 a gallon, $5.20 a gallon. That's a staggering amount. When they say the average person, there was a study that said the average person drove about 3000 miles. I could tell you probably in that area is further That would be the same case in rural communities. In rural communities, you gotta drive 30 miles to go and get uh, groceries one day, one way, Um, 30, 45 miles. That's a lot of money to spend on gasoline. That means you have very little money left over for, uh, for basic necessities. You got kids that need food. You gotta pay household items in your house, repairs, all of this. You know, people are not living paycheck to paycheck. People are living paycheck to Wednesday and they're running out of money. And then they have to borrow money from relatives, friends. They got to figure out how they can make it even to the next uh, pay period. And so they're already upside down before the week starts. And this is true for all. I mean, all Americans, you know, seniors are getting hit hard because they live on fixed incomes. Uh, Rural communities getting hit hard. And then when you think about all of these industries like farming, that's heavily dependent on energy, heavily dependent on the gas and oil industry. You know, the cost of uh, food is going up because you got transportation, you got the the amount for tractors, you got all of these things that are just destroying uh, the lives of people because the cost of living expenses are so high that there's not a way for you to make up the difference unless we pull back the regulations. We need to pull back regulations. We need to let the market determine how people are going to make their decisions. And, you know, what's happening is people can't save anymore. Uh, most of the people are living are borrowing money. And so they're going it deeper and deeper into debt. And I don't know that we are going to be able to sustain what the, the conditions that we're living in right now?
0: Uh, I live in Southwest Florida, outside of uh, Fort Myers. And in the last three weeks, the price of a gallon of gas regular has moved 40 cents up. 40 cents. That's a- and it looks like it's, and, and if I follow the crude oil markets because I invested in oil. Crude oil markets are also turning around. and. We're going to see higher and higher gas prices, and uh, which means more inflation, which means less money to spend. Um, The thing that is amazing to me is that uh, I interviewed uh, about a year ago a woman who is a a forensic psychiatrist, and she does expert witness testimony on what... After she'd done her analysis, what a person was thinking while they were committing or before they were committing a crime. And she said to me something that I've said many, many times, and I give her the credit. Um, she said that the the leadership of the Biden administration are the worst chess players in the world. they have They have no ability, they have no ability to see what the future could hold because of the decision they made. It's it's amazing to me that Joe Biden, when he walked into his office the day he was inaugur- inaugurated and signed the bill to stop the Keystone Pipeline, that he couldn't see the gasoline prices were going to go through the roof. It, it, it never crossed his mind, nor any of his staff people. And so what happened is that we now, we have this the demand for green energy, yet we know that solar accounts for about of the total energy generated and wind about 6%. So less than 10% of the energy supply to our country comes from an alternative green energy at a tremendous cost to our environment to create the the energy. But it's not making making energy any cheaper for us who are living on fixed income or uh, have not got a full-time job and yet the politicians, Donna, don't seem to care.
1: Oh, they don't. They don't get it. I mean, I, I don't think it. For a lot of individuals, I'm gonna say, in the Biden administration, this has become a religion for them, and they feel like this cost is not too high. Even when you go up and say, "Listen, there are so many people in America that are hurting," they still think that they're right and that we can uh, withhold the storm, that eventually is still the right thing to do. And then, and then the other thing is they're p- completely out of touch. When you have one of the administrators saying, if gas prices are too high, just buy electric vehicle, you can you can clearly understand that she doesn't understand where most people live. I mean, sitting there telling somebody that you should just go buy a sixty-two-thousand-dollar vehicle, so that you can save electricity, um, is is completely, you know, uh, it doesn't make any sense to the normal person that telling them a sixty-buy sixty-two-thousand-dollar vehicle is like telling them to buy a mansion. You know, it's just as realistic, but in their minds, no price is too high. No human. Price, no human catastrophe is too high for them to see green energy through. And the thing is, if you look at the UK, we already know that they've been doing this for a long time. They they're already realizing that this is going backwards because the green energy industry is only sustainable because it's heavily government subsidized. It's not because people are buying solar panels. It's not because people are using wind industry, and none of these industries would even still be in business if it wasn't for the fact that the government is paying so many subsidies to uh content to have them continue. It's That's not. True, also true in Germany. Yeah, it's it's never going to be reliable. But the only thing we've done is turned around and we're putting more people at risk because of an ideal that people don't want to give up. You have uh, you have uh, Texas. When Texas had that big power outage, it was because they had switched a certain amount of their energy to those solar panels and the windmills, and they froze. Who knew? But, you know, uh, the fact that, irregardless of the research you show them, Irregardless of the human casualties, so they just think that they're right. And it's until we put people in a position where they look no longer can have that control, then we're going to continue to see this. That's why I was grateful for what the Energy and Commerce Committee did and actually listening to the implications of what they're doing and what it's having on people's lives, because at least they were willing to listen.
0: We're talking with Donna Jackson and we're gonna come back to Donna to talk about some more energy and economic issues, how it's infecting uh, poor uh, people, driving people out of the middle income back to poverty. We'll be right back after this message. Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added 46 billion dollars to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt Consolidation program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two-thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years. If you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order, then call one 855 435 or go to the website cambridgeyescredit.org forward slash BW hyphen podcast and get your house in order. Welcome back. Jackson and we have Donna Jackson today, and she's talking about her recent testimony before the House on energy and how it's affecting blacks and minorities. Um, I, I want I don't want to say that I, I, I have to feel delicate in asking the question because I've had you on the phone.
1: No, you um, don't so, have to. <laughs> and
0: and you, you'll take you'll take any kind of a question, and that's fine. I will. Um, what. Just as a, a point of perspective, um, prior the mid, to the midterm elections, the issues that were be talked in the, talking about in the alternative press, meaning Fox News and other cable situations, non, non-right, mm-hmm. were they weren't talking about, they weren't talking about inflation, they weren't talking about the economy, they weren't talking about the border. They were talking about uh, the murder rates in the in the big cities. Uh, they weren't talking about any of these things, talking about the 100,000 people that died from the fentanyl that came across the border. They were talking about it on Fox and and, and Newsmax and things like that. And I, I think that we became a victim of our own press clippings because we didn't realize that the size of the audience in the the mainstream media was many times on an aggregate basis much greater than the alternative media. With that as background, two questions. Do you believe that the Black and minority people in this country were aware of and were concerned about crime, the border, illegal drugs, or not?
1: Oh, I think they're concerned about it. I think that you don't, what you don't see in the mainstream media is uh, they don't really allow voices that are alternative to whatever their narratives to be seen. If you looked at for example, defund the police, you would have thought when you're looking at the mainstream media that all Black people wanted to do away with the justice system and have fewer police officers on the street. That wasn't the case. Our our organization actually did a survey and 70%, well, more than 70% of African-Americans actually wanted more police. They wanted more because what's going to happen? The victims of these crimes are going to be minorities because that's where these people are coming back to. But what you have is wealthy white elite liberals who think we're, they're doing us a favor by, and, and somehow this is equity for us by releasing criminals into the community. And so they come, they let them out and they terrorize our communities. But then when you show it on when they show on TV, they think, no, the criminal is the person that we should be looking at as a victim. And you see across the country, especially in blue areas where they have created these laws that are more protective of the criminal than it is of the victim. There are women out there going, wait a minute, these people are breaking in our houses. They're raping us, they're taking our stuff, and nobody is paying attention to us. You know, there's, I I had a friend actually who said that living in Los Angeles was now felt like living in Gotham City because people are actually afraid to go even to the corner store or walk even to their neighbor's houses. And so, you know, it's difficult when people want one thing, but then you have powerful people that are paying to put DAs, to put uh, mayors, to put city council and that are not listening to the community, but they're doing the bid of these wealthy people who think somehow is equity if we get terrorized. And so it's so many people when it comes to crime, when it comes to the border. And I mean, the, the residents, the Black residents in the south side of Chicago are in an uproar because they, they're they putting illegal immigrants in closed schools. They're outraged by it because what happens? Their votes get watered down. Their, their priorities are now pushed to the back. They have so many issues like you, you have failing schools, you have high crime. You have no economic opportunity, but then you're flooding the community with illegal immigrants that are putting a larger strain. And who does the money come from? Who where's the money get taken out of? Their programs. So minorities are concerned about it, but the problem is the money that is financing these programs that are destroying the community. That's difficult difficult to combat.
0: But but dear lady, I have to follow a question because that was in my original thought premise. If you're right, then can you please explain to me why the overwhelming majority of Blacks and minorities voted for Democrats?
1: You know, and this is always a difficult question. It's twofold. So some, and, and I hate that it happens, a lot of people voted there's a lot of intimidation in the way they vote. And then the other thing is a lot of conservatives don't actually go into black communities to actually say, this is what we're going to offer you instead. And that's been that's a problem too. So we have no messaging from our side because you know that you know that they're not going to tell you on MSNBC that uh, 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 conservatives are trying to pull back regulations on say, uh, asset limits or things like that. They're not going to allow you to say that, but then conservatives already have written off minority communities in a large part. And so they don't go and do the outreach that they should. in but order
0: do you, for- think, do you think Donald Trump Abandon
1: the black community? I, I think that Donald Trump, I think that, I'm going to tell you, the reason why we had the highest percentage of black people that voted conservative was because of Donald Trump. He did, he was very good at doing outreach, but at the same time, we had a lot of conservatives that were anti-Trump who were also voting against, I mean, working against him. And that was, the, that's, that was a big flaw. But if you look at the largest number of African-Americans who are turning to the conservative movement is young millenniums and it's male black African-Americans. When you look at Stacey Abrams' vote, when she ran for governor, the group that she did not win was black males. And that's where we have lots of opportunities. We have lots of opportunities with Millenniums. We have lots of opportunities with Black males. And if we do the outreach necessary, because they're not going to give us the airtime, so we just have to be in the community. Once they see that we have a presence there, we're in the community, then we have a greater opportunity to move more people from from liberal to conservative.
0: Do you think that the change in the House to Republican, in my opinion, Republican-Conservative, and what Kevin McCarthy's already done in the first week of his office as Speaker, are they going to accomplish anything in their two years?
1: Yeah, You know, I think they will. And it's more in, in, in the area of confidence that they show that they at least want to fight. Because I think that that's one of the most important things. When you think about the risk you know, when like you, you're conservative and you're a good conservative and people are gonna call you names. Can you imagine what they call me? <laughs> I mean, I'm serious, like it's nothing in comparison. But what gave what gives us the courage to be able to do that is the fact that when we see that we at least are trying, when you see conservatives that are least trying, because I even heard this week when they said, you know, conservatives are terrible at investigations or they're terrible at fighting back. If you just show that you're willing to fight back, then I think that's what gives people the confidence to follow you. If you're sitting there going, no, we're just going to go along to get along. And every time they turn around, you know, you have a conservative majority who is giving in to the left because they think it's just easier. Then people go, well, why would I vote for a conservative Am I that's going to go along with what the liberals want? Why not just b- vote for the liberal? Right. And I think that when we start to see more people saying, you know what, I'm going to at least give the appearance, and I shouldn't say the appearance, but I'm going to at least try to right some of the wrongs that are being done, oversight, pushing back against all of these uh, high regulations that are, that have people, you know, really just bombarded. it's not one regulation, it's the palling up of multiple regulation on top of regulation, uh, regulation that has people underwater. When you start to see, they're at least moving that way and identifying and letting people know that we're trying. I think you'll see a shift.
0: We're we've got about two minutes left. Uh, I couldn't be talking to you if I didn't talk to you about what you think is going to happen to our existing president and his problem with his classified documents. Anything?
1: <laughs> what I wish is something would happen because you know. Uh, this has been something ongoing, but, you know, I don't have that much confidence in our Department of Justice. I think that it's been highly politicized, and I think it's going to come down to what the Republicans do in their investigation to bring this, bring all of the crimes he's committed to light.
0: If you look at it, look at him from the standpoint that there there is growing suspicion, these are my words, that he was on the take for millions and millions of dollars. If the Republicans, through their hearings, get people to come in and testify about how much money Joe Biden took from foreign governments and businesses as president or vice president, will that be toast for him?
1: I think it'll be toast in the eyes of the American people. And, you know, just looking at, I I saw this morning, his tax returns, he filed uh, $14,000 for rent. But we know that his son said that he paid $50,000 a month for rent. Even that should be an investigation. I mean, even if it's for tax fraud. I mean, I think that when, for the American people, this will be a tipping point. And it's not—it's the inflation, it's high energy costs, and then all of this fraud. We know he was on the take.
0: Yeah, um, we we know. We heard this morning, and we just have a few seconds that he his uh, he with he withdrew his tax return from his website, so you can no longer see his tax return. But we'll see anyway. I'm sorry, we we run out of time, but it's always a pleasure, and it's good to see you again. And we'll have you back on and we'll get you back on with the moms too. So we've been speaking with Donna Jackson. Thank you so much. And how can people follow what you and your organization are doing?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. You can follow me on the nationalcenter.org. Uh, and, you know, we also have a blueprint for a better deal for black Americans, where we highlight uh, important aspects to focus on and policy recommendations. So can
0: they Can they get that on your website?
1: Yes, they can and they okay. can they could we have a a uh, electronic version and you can request us. And center. what is
0: the website again?
1: It's project is <laughs> the nationalcenter.org. Okay.
0: Thank you, dear. It's a pleasure having you.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Was Anytime. Pleasure.
0: Okay. We'll be back after these messages. Thank you for joining us today. And we'd like to hear your comments or questions. So go to BW dot com. That's BWRadioNetwork.com and give us your questions or comments. And thanks for joining us today.